So let's pray. I really need God's grace to communicate this morning. I, I feel that this word that I'm going to speak this morning, that God gave me this word to preach. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm not saying as if all the other words I've preached I have not heard from God. But I was saying to the guys this morning, um, sometimes all of us come with, with uh, um, various levels of expectation. Is that true? And I feel in my spirit this morning just a higher level of expectation for what God wants to say. And because of what He wants to say, what God wants to do, not only in you and me, but through us, because of who He is. And, um, and so, let's pray. Father, if, uh, if, if the oceans roar to express your praise, then uh, so will I. And if the wind blows where you wish and declares your praises, so will I. As we drive through um, our neighborhoods at this time of the year, sometimes, Lord, it's, it's actually staggering. The luminous yellows and browns um, of this beautiful season does one thing. It declares the beauty of our God, the attributes of your character and your nature. So Lord, I pray this morning for your Holy Spirit to be here so tangibly, to open new realms of our understanding, to bring us into greater spaces of a heavenly reality, and to abound in freedom. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I want to speak this morning a little bit about a bunch of things, but I want to speak about the heart primarily. Uh, And um, I I just have always in my life, when I think of a heart, some people have a visual because we all communicate, uh, we think uh, imagery, right? You know what I mean? Like if I say, think of something, an image pops up in your head. And my image has always been, I think it's because when I was a child, my Sunday school teacher had this flannel board. Anybody here at Sunday school with flannel boards? Yeah. Okay, so flannel board. And he always had Jesus, okay, in my heart, like a red fleshy heart, on a throne sitting on my heart. That was on top of his flannel board for as long as I can see it vividly, clearly. And so the heart is, is the throne of the human life. And Jesus said, uh, guard your heart above all things because it, from, it, from it flows the issues of life. It is like the wellspring of life. So from the heart and, 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 and hence the, the circumcision of the heart done by the Spirit of God when we are born again does something. It's a, it's a removing of the old one who sat on the throne of your heart and becoming the throne of your heart. It's a simple, simple reality. And in the world that we live in today, there are obviously lots of idolatry, lots of idols, lots of things. But I, I, I was just looking at this image in my brain, thinking and praying and saying, Lord, I was actually praying for myself, just walking up and down, actually right here in this building, and praying and praying and praying. And I saw the picture of my heart, and I saw the throne, and I thought, who is sitting on the throne? And I, felt the Lord, and I felt the Lord say to me that many people 
many people on the throne of their heart is, is, is not me. I'm not sitting on the throne of that heart. And so a lot of peripheral things go on as if I am sitting on the throne of the heart, but I'm not. Something else is sitting on the throne of the heart. And from that place of something else sitting on that heart, that throne of your heart, will flow the reality of your life. And you could spend all your energy for the rest of your life trying to contain and manage the flow of the reality of that. It will never, ever, ever replace that which is on the throne of your heart. And lots of our energy, and even as we misunderstandingly think, or misguidedly think, might be a form of spirituality. It's not a form of spirituality at all. Until our hearts are actually circumcised, which means that which was on the throne of our heart has now been removed by God's grace as we respond by faith to the glory of the gospel. Jesus takes his place on the throne of our heart. Then, friends, everything changes. It is like sitting on a bicycle trying to ride it, but no motion. You can balance, you can balance. Unless you're a really good balancer, you eventually will fall over and you'll become frustrated with the bicycle and the very bicycle will be thrown away because you're not in motion. And then that which it was designed for automatically somehow in our brains, we kick into balance and we balance and we ride and we enjoy it. If Jesus is on the throne of your life, then a lot changes. Can you guess what is the most repeated command throughout Scripture? What's that, Adela? No? Of course it's fear not. I knew you'd have the answer. I was hoping it could last a little bit longer. The, the, the most repeated command throughout Scripture is, Don't be afraid! Fear not! Well done, Grandma. Yeah, that's worth a clap. Fear not. Fear not. Now, fear, fear, the emotion of fear is not sin. The emotion of fear sometimes is a great thing that God has given us. I remember when Levi climbed up to the very top of the, the stadium in uh, South Africa, it's the highest and free-falling swing in the world. He was not afraid at all. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Julia, Julia wasn't afraid at all. I think she was, but she's just learned to overcome fear. And Levi was shaking in his boots. And he said to Julia, I am so petrified. And his cousin that was there with him said, I act, they climbed to the very top of the stadium and Julia went and jumped. And, and, and free fall. Levi went next. He was petrified. But he reluctantly, with closed eyes, jumped off the edge and swung that swing. And Mitchell came. It was Mitchell's turn. He had one look at it. He's like, guys, I'm too afraid. And he turned around and he walked all the way down the walk of shame. So fear is what happens the moment. Fear is what happens. Okay, fear is an emotion that we feel sometimes, right? But fear that becomes crippling, and as a result of that reality, has crept onto the throne of your heart, is the fear. Fear becomes a problem the moment that you agree with it. This is huge. Experiencing this emotion is not sin. Agreeing with it is sin. Let's read Isaiah 54. Verse 13, all your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established, you shall be far from oppression, because you will not fear. You will not 
come under the oppression of a system, a governmental system, a worldly system, pleasant or unpleasant, only if you do not fear. Most of society's pressures, and I'm not going to be that guy who always goes this all the time, but I'm going to say it one more time. Social media is driven by fear. Fear of not being cool enough. Fear of not having a life that's ridiculous. Which most of the social media stuff, and I have Instagram and I look at Instagram, but I'll tell you honestly right now, I've deleted some of my friends that I led to the Lord, that I discipled, that are now leading mega churches. <laughs> because it makes me anxious. God, surely I'm not doing enough. I've deleted that. Because of anxiety. It's driven by that anxiety. It's an undermining, undermining reality of fear. And when fear addresses you, friends, it becomes a problem. And it takes the place on the throne of your heart the minute, the second that you come into agreement with that. Because when you agree with it, it becomes a reality. And everything in your life will flow from that reality. Fear. And so it says here, our children will be taught by the Lord. And righteousness you shall be established you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. Years ago when we were in Mozambique, and I know I've told lots of stories, but we met a guy there, a lady actually, and she was, um, she was a nurse. And in the middle of the civil war that was going on around us, people were petrified, but she was not afraid. And so although she was in the war zone, and although actual bullets with traces that we followed at night would be firing all around us, and people would actually be dying. The reality was all around us. It was tangible. You could, fight, you could feel it and taste it. It was there. You could smell it. It was real. She was in it. And I was afraid a little bit. Okay? A little bit afraid. Okay? Not all the time. Because honestly, it was like a supernatural season of God's grace. This woman was never afraid. And as a result of that, she never came under the oppression of what was actually going on in the physical realm there. I hope you get this. This is huge. Absolutely huge. And therefore, Renamo and Frelimo, the two factions that were killing each other by the thousands, would not touch this woman. Because she was not under the oppression. Because she was not agreeing with the intimidated reality of what she saw all around her. Because she was living according to a different reality. Fear. So the second we agree with that, it becomes the reality and it takes its place on the throne of our heart. Philippians 1.27 Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ is free. It's liberating. It is never motivated by fear. Don't worry, we're going to get to that now in a bit. So that whenever I come to see in you or when I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind Striving together for the faith of the gospel. And not in any way afraid or terrified by your adversaries. Which is to them the proof of perdition. But to you of salvation. And that is from God. If we stand in a world free from fear. Because Jesus is really in actuality seated on the throne of our heart. He is our reality. We will never come under that oppression if we live free from fear. And not only will that be the manifestation of the reality of God's presence in our life, because that is salvation, as we just read, but it will be a sign of perdition for our enemies. In other words, back off. This guy is untouchable. 
The enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. God comes to give us life and life more abundantly. And we know that scripture very well. But he gives a lot of things in abundance. A lot of things in abundance. And in actuality, like we sang this morning, as it is in heaven, let it be on earth, all those things are already now available to us. In abundance. For us to access. And I want to push it a little bit. Through the freedom of fear. Think about your own life. Fear. Fear. What does, it do? what does it do? It does a ton of things. 1 John 4 verse 17 says, God is love. And those who are living in love are living in God and God lives through them. By living in God, love has been brought to its full expression in us so that we may fearlessly face the day of judgment. Because all that Jesus now is so are we in the world. Love never brings fear. For fear is always related to some form of punishment. But love's perfection drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts. And whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has not reached love's perfection. Friends, right there I've got to stop and ask you the question. What is your view of God? And I want to dare suggest this, that love will not find perfection in you and in me if we still view God as a punishing being, as one who ultimately, has, ultimately is going to get to a place where he says, I've had enough. And strip. That doesn't undermine the judgment of God. The cross sums up the judgment of God fully. Tons and tons of scriptures of that reality. <coughs> But as long as we think that God is still in the business of punishing us for our sin, we have a shallow gospel and therefore a shallow love and a throne of the heart that is pretty wonky. You can shake it up and it'll fall over. Our love for others is our grateful response to the love that God first demonstrated for us. Therefore, we cannot say that I love you until, until we can say you love me. Anyone can say, I love God, yet have hatred towards another believer. And this makes him a phony, because if you don't love a brother or a sister whom you can see, how can you truly love God whom you can't see? For he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also demonstrate love to others. The heart is definitely the wellspring of life. And our view of God is in some ways in desperate need of change. Give someone a kiss quickly next to you. Do it. Perfect love. <laughs> love, love, love. So if, fear, so if fear is on the throne of your heart, alright? I was watching Designated Survivor with Levi the other night, last, the night before last night. And there was this one scene, I don't know if you guys have seen Designated Survivor, there's one scene in season two where there's a bunch of fanatic freaks who are in the mountains at a, at a religious retreat. 
And, and I cringed. I tell you, I cringed. Because there's a, there's a big bushfire coming and it's going to burn the house up with all of them. And they refuse to leave because God will save them. And the leader got up and spoke like, a, like he spoke a little bit. And I, I, I literally, I stood up. I was like, God, if I sound like that, just, just kill me now. <laughs> that, so, the reason I'm telling you that is because I really don't want to sound like a fanatic. Because this stuff is way beyond that. This is, this is so beautiful that God is, I feel, in these days that we're living in, right? I know that some of us long back for, a, for, a, for a, an aspect of the manifestation of the presence of God. But friends, something much greater is happening in front of our eyes. And if He is not seated on the throne of our hearts, or whether He is or not, He is revealing this to us. And my, my cry, my desire, is that we would open our eyes and be aware, even just turn our affection I love towards him and say, Lord, would you really reshape everything I think about you to its proper way so that the manifestation, the only manifestation of that reality taking place in our spirit, in our hearts, is the deepening of our love. God is revealing himself to us. We live in a day and age where, where what we thought and held fundamentally is being made new by the Spirit of God. Because I know, I've heard you pray, God, we want more of you. This morning, down there. Who prayed that? Tom. God, we want more of you. We have all of Him. So what He's saying when He says we want more, we want more, a greater capacity to perceive all that He is saying and doing around us. Therefore, the greatest, the most depressing thing is probably for us to stop and to settle and say, okay, that's it, I've had enough. Oh, I'm full. Take me now, God. I've had enough. God is awesome. He's beyond our description. He's kind. He's gracious. He forgives sin to a thousand generations. He tolerated our cultural conditioning and came into this world and by our demand laid down his life because we demanded it, because we wanted it and paid and paid the penalty through the shedding of his precious blood for all sin, past, present, and every sin that will still be committed. Sin, therefore, is dealt with. Yes, cool. There's been. So God's nature is a nature of abundance. Psalm 36 verse 8. Abundant joy. All may drink of the anointing. All. And that word for anointing is actually, I looked it up because I, I like the word anointing. I love the anointing. The presence, I love the anointing. That word anointing actually means the fat that you get from butter. And butter makes everything better. That's a fact. <coughs> It so does. Absolutely does. When I'm fasting, there's only one thing I crave. And I love listening to what people crave. Some people crave butternut soup. Are you serious? No. No. I crave lots of bread out of the toaster with a chunk of butter on it. That disappears <laughs> while I'm toasting the next slice. Everybody may come and eat toasted bread with the anointing from the abundance of your house. All may drink, they fill from the delightful springs. Jeez, guys, I wonder if David really meant everyone when he said all. He does. The manifestation of the reality that Jesus is on the throne of our life is that we've removed the polarity of our thinking when it comes to nationalities even, culture, society, 
And that we've that we losing this dualistic one. And we see this God with wide open arms and says, Come to me. He's abundant. Means abundant. Abundant. To know you is to experience this flowing fountain, drinking in your life, springing up to satisfy me. Psalm 36, verse 8. Then he promises abundant life. It's not just promise, he's already made it available. John 10, 10. A thief has only one thing in his mind. He wants to come and steal from you, slaughter and destroy. But I've come to give you everything in abundance, more than you even expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. We must. This becomes the reality when Jesus is on the throne. We must get to a place where we are not ever, ever coming into these corporate gatherings in times like this. And of course, again, I don't want to sound one extreme to the other. But the reality of these times together here is that it creates in us an overflow. An overflow. Nothing in the bucket will get on the floor until the bucket is so full that it starts to... Say it, please. Overflow. Overflow. The reality is if we fill our lives with all these other things, we never reach that place of the overflow. The affection that has completely turned our heart away from everything else. The love that we thought we could never have more of until it is displaced by a greater love of God. When Julia was born, Cass says she had another child. I said, no way. She said, why not? I said, I don't think I can love another child. Do you know what I mean, Linda? Then Levi was born. And I thought, jeez, I don't... I don't think I can, but I can. I love him. I love him. I love this child. And our human nature is just, I think in our fallen state, just geared to this. But when we see this abundant God, friends, our theology, I'm telling you, it doesn't, it doesn't have space for it. It's just like, it, it's just all crumpled up as God re-shows us and reveals himself to us. You know what fear does? Makes your life very small, very quickly. Makes your view of God very small. And very polarized. And we'll become super passionate, but accomplish nothing. We'll do a lot of Christian activities, but never reach the overflow. We'll struggle to connect because we don't know how to be with Him. Because something else is shaping our identity. Abundant grace, 2 Corinthians 9 8. Yes, God's more than ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace. Have you ever seen someone that's overwhelmed? You can actually YouTube it. I didn't, but you can. I'm sure you can. Don't do it. Don't do it now. See a couple of you looking down at your phone. Julia does this silly thing where she watches soldiers coming home from the war. So silly. And it's not silly. It's not silly. Okay, it's not silly. But they overwhelm. And the overwhelming, the overwhelming, the, the thing that happens to people who are overwhelmed, okay, when you truly are overwhelmed, you have to give up some form of control. Which means that your emotions have taken over your sensibility and your sense of reason, and you are now overwhelmed. God is more than ready to overwhelm us with every form of grace so that you will have more than enough of absolutely everything. 
I'm reading from the TPT, my new favorite translation. It was written by um, Mick Jagger. (laughs) 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 Joking. More than enough. So we're overwhelmed by this reality. It's more than enough for everything, every moment, in every way. And he will make you overflow with the abundance of every good thing that you do. This is my strategy for evangelism in 2018. In fact, until I die. Wherever I go, I want to live in the abundance of God's grace. Ready to overwhelm me in every way so that I may overflow in Starbucks. So that I don't have to even go to Starbucks and go to another proper coffee shop or overflow wherever I go. What are we overflowing? Just our wonderful person, quirky personalities like John? No. No, we don't overflow like that. We overflow with the love of God. If Jesus is seated on the throne of your life, the manifestation of that reality will be an overflowing love that overwhelms you at times. Isn't that true? We were in England when I was a young man in 1991. And we were... uh, Some guys invited us to a small group that they had in the country in England where we were staying in Guildford, just outside London. So we arrived there and it was a guy who was... uh, a car collector. He had a whole bunch of Rolls Royces and Bentleys. And um, anyway, we, we had dinner together. Pheasant and proper English high society food. And uh, to be honest with you, I was slightly intimidated because it was really a, like a really wealthy bunch of guys. I was working on a construction site and unfortunately I had just wore my same jeans that I was wearing the whole day and it was a concrete mixing day. So I wasn't really like posh, you know. But we ate the food and we were super grateful. And while we were eating dinner, there was an, a lady, probably in her 70s or 80s, sitting at the end of the table and she started to cry. And I looked around to see if anyone else was noticing it. And uh, everyone else was smiling and she was crying and she was crying. She looked at me and my friend Boyd was sitting across the table and she said, you know what, you guys, I am so overwhelmed with love for you. I've never met you in my life. But the love of God is overwhelming me right now with love for you. Can I just hug you? And so she had the black mascara running through her face. And uh, she got up and we got up and she hugged us and she held us. So simple. I'm not, I'm not saying you must go to your work environment and when, you know, when, you're, when your contractor shows up and say, I'm so overwhelmed. <laughs> But, but, but why not? Why not? If Jesus is on the throne of our heart and we're no longer functioning because we just want to just make it by one more day, Jesus, because our theology of you is so pathetically small because on the throne is really fear. No, he's on the throne. And therefore, if the oceans obey him, so will I. The stars stay in space. We named them and commanded them, so will I. The abundance. Ephesians 3.20. Power. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. Never doubt it. What is doubt? 
It's a derivative of fear. I don't think I can do this. The guy says he can, the guy says he can't, according to Jesus, they're both right. You will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dreams, and exceed your wildest imagination. Guys, honestly, this is not even Matthew who says this. This is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, who loves us and gave himself for us to reconcile us to him. How much more? That our wildest expectations, will he do? Is he willing to do? Is he standing by to do? He's amazing. The most unbelievable dream exceeds your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all. For his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Your wives are going to be more beautiful than you ever thought. Don't laugh. I'm teasing. Our wildest expectation he can supersede. And then supply, Philippians 4.19. I'm convinced that my God is fully satisfied, will fully satisfy every need that you have, for I have seen the abundant riches of glory revealed to me through the anointed one, Jesus Christ. Again, butter on toast. And then we have entrance. As a result, the kingdom's gates are wide open. The gates of heaven are wide open. We're going to sing it now when we're done. Sean, get it ready. What's it called? Saved. What's that song called? We're going to sing that. Saved. We are saved. And we, we're going to see this. We have abundant entrance. The result, the result is the kingdom's gates will open wide to us as God choreographs your triumphant entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the Messiah. I hate to do this, but let me, there's no, perfect, no better place to set this after reading a scripture like that. These are some of the fears. If this is you, I'm reading these on purpose. It wasn't with you in mind that I made this list, but this is just general in our lives. When we sing the song after, we, after the scripture, in the New Testament, the miraculous was often seen after the preaching of the word. Which means that you need to take the word and choose it. Choose it. Believe it. Simulate it. And then react. Re- respond. By faith. Fear. They say the number one fear in the world is the fear of losing control. Is that you? Fear of lack. Fear to fail. Fear of being rejected. Fear of pain. Fear of death. Fear of being abused. Fear of losing. These guys definitely have fear of losing. Eric, are you awake? Fear that others will find out who I really am. Fear of going backwards in my life. Honestly, there are millions of derivatives of fear. And there are many self-help approaches. You can buy books on how to overcome fear. In the Caribbean, we heard of this barracuda called Bob. Bob was seven foot long, a barracuda. Now, I don't know if you've ever died with a barracuda. They're quite ominous. They just hang in the water. They don't move much. They just hang. And so sometimes it looks like they actually stalk you. So when we go spearfishing or fishing or diving or swimming, the barracuda would slowly, wherever we swim, the barracuda would swim behind us. 
Remember Bob? One day we went to Norman Island to the caves, we dived overboard. Guess who was there? Bob. Seven foot under the water looks like 20 foot. Okay? He's this size. He's massive. His mouth's com- completely open all the time because I think he was dying. And he's so old. And Ezra told me, Yaku, don't even think about fearing a barracuda. Swim straight towards it. So I tried. <laughs> this is a self-help help book. Face your fears. Okay? I swam towards Bob. Bob checked me out and he swam towards me. True story, right? Now I'm checking Bob out because he will eat Julia in a second. He'll bite her in half. She was like this high. And I just heard about a guy in Soper's Hall whose wife, he bought his wife a Rolex for Christmas and they were scrubbing their boat in the water in Soper's Hall. Barracuda saw the glimmer in the water and took her hand right off. Now I'm watching Bob. Bob's watching me. I'm swimming towards Bob and he's swimming towards me. And he didn't move until about, until about here. In the water. I'm looking at Bob, he's looking at me. And then just one movement, he was like, Choo! and he was gone. Facing your fears. Actually, he attacked me. I'll show you my scars after. <laughs> my point is this. There are many tactics that the world will do to overcome fear. May I suggest one? May I suggest? Answer truthfully to yourself. Who's the throne? Who's on the throne of my heart? Is it fear? Or is it Jesus? Remember, experiencing the emotion of fear is not sin. Agreeing with it instantly becomes the thing. And so... This is how people medicate. They binge watch Netflix. <laughs> they numb their... F- Stop. This is how people deal with fear. They become workaholics. Not everybody who works hard is a workaholic and hides from fear, but it's definitely a trend in our society, without a doubt. They numb the fear. How? Drugs and booze. Others try everything to stay young because their greatest fear is to get old and die. Some cling to everything. They cling to the last bit of money they have. They cling to their house. They cling to their children. They cling to their identities of previous, in some way we're all immigrants actually, but they cling to that. They cling to anything that's a false identity. And all of these are wasted words if we just know who is on the throne. Some have made security their God and they do everything to become secure. Secure financially, secure physically, secure in my plan my future, all, 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 uh, all coping mechanisms for fear, and the greatest one in our society today is FOMO, the fear of missing out. <laughs> and in closing, I've got several more pages, but I'm not going to finish them, Okay. Thank you, Jesus, that you're so good. Hebrews 2 verse 14 and 15 says, Since all his children have flesh and blood. Love Hebrews. So Jesus became human to fully identify with us. Some theologians have asked the question. Well, they don't ask. I've just read some guys. Um, was Jesus afraid? And some of them reckon yes. There were times where Jesus was, was experiencing some forms of, of anxiety, without a doubt. But in those moments, he did not sin. Which meant he did not agree with the anxiety that he experienced. Is that very plain and simple? That's how it is. Because all of his children have flesh and blood, and so Jesus became human to fully identify with us. He did this so that he could experience death 
and annihilate the effects of his intimidating accuser. Intimidation is a form of inducing of fear. Who holds against us the power of death? So by embracing death itself, which is the ultimate home run, Jesus sets free those who live their entire lives in bondage to the tormented dread of death. For it is clear that he did do this didn't do this for the angels, but for all the sons and daughters of Abraham, who are you and I. He did it for us. And this is why he had to be a man and take a hold of our humanity in every way. He made us his brothers and his sisters, and he became our merciful and faithful king priest before God, and the one who removed our sin to make us one with him. He suffered and endured every test and temptation so that he can help us in every time that we pass through the ordeals of life and deal with anxiety or fear. I added that on. He can fully identify with us. He was fully human like you. Everything you've experienced, he's experienced. The only difference is he does not agree with it because he lives by a higher reality. (coughs) The one who holds the power of death is Satan. We were never meant to experience death. That's just my stepping out beyond what I see right now. Jesus came in John John 3 to destroy the works of death in its fullness. Friends, let me ask you this. Who else is going to manifest that if not you? If not you. Love never brings fear. Fear is always related to punishment. But love's perfection drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts. Whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has not reached love's perfection in Christ. 1 John 4.18 What is your view of God? Do you think God is waiting to punish? You must answer that question. So what does it mean to fear God? Come back next week. We will continue.